I want you to listen to something. Check this out. News just came out that NASA released something called the Golden Record. And they released it on SoundCloud, which is a a music sharing service. The Golden Record is a recording of various sounds that tell what life on Earth sounds like. It was created in 1977 and placed in the Voyager spacecraft, which was sent on a one-way trip out of our solar system and into deep space. Listen to some of the other sounds included on this recording. It all begs the question, if you were making this recording, what would you want an alien species to hear? What sounds would begin to tell the story about what it is like to live on Earth, to be alive, to be human? What would you want another being to hear? And if another being heard it, would they be able to understand it? Or would it be like a lot of what we say? Would it fall on deaf ears and lost in translation? Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. This is episode six, Translation. I'm Chris Roberts. And I'm Dave Berg. Before we get into today's topic, uh, we are so excited for our upcoming Sandbox Cooperative Live event. Uh, It's going to take place on September 27th at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We're welcoming Science Mike McCarg. He has a podcast called Ask Science Mike, and he's the co-host of the Liturgist podcast with Michael Gunger. Science Mike will join us to talk about faith, doubt, and science. I don't know if you've been getting the same question, Chris. A lot of people have been asking me about how the Sandbox Cooperative Live events work. So here goes. 
At 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on September 27th, log into our website, sandboxcooperative.com, and click the button to watch now. Then you can watch and participate. Science Mike will present for the first half hour or so, then he will take questions from our live audience in Rochester, Minnesota, as well as our online audience. You can ask questions of Mike and engage people from around the country and through our live stream feed, Facebook or Twitter. If you're in Rochester, Minnesota, you can join us at Studio 324 downtown where you can meet Science Mike and have some refreshments and enjoy the evening there. If you happen to miss the live event, uh, don't worry, we'll have a copy of it posted on our website and you can check it out later. We'll also provide a discussion guide so you can watch it and discuss the talk with your friends or in small groups you might be a part of. As we get into our topic for today, maybe think about a conversation uh, over a cup of coffee with a friend. So each moment of exchanging words and ideas with someone has two parts. In the first part, you express an idea about something, maybe how your coffee tastes. But in order to really communicate, to translate the intricacy of that idea from your brain to your friend's brain, you need a second part. And that second part, from your friend physically hearing what you're saying, to their brain making sense of the words, to, to agreeing on the idea and the meaning of each word that you choose, that whole second half of an exchange is translation. That's absolutely killing me, Chris. Um, I'm, what you're saying actually reminds me of this old commercial from when I was a kid. The, there was a wife in the commercial, and this wife would offer a second cup of coffee to her husband. I think his name was Frank. And Frank would always refuse. Then there's this cutaway scene where she looks at the camera and says, that's funny. Frank never has a sub second cup of coffee at home. So what message was Frank sending? That he was over-caffeinated? That he doesn't like coffee? Or that he really doesn't like her coffee? Or maybe he doesn't really like her. I don't know. But personally, I've never really trusted Frank or his opinions. But it does set up an interesting example of what message we send and what message we intend. Exactly. And, and what message we're, we're actually sending is often where we get stuck and where we're talking past each other. In order for people to hear and understand something, there's often a, a barrier or a blind spot in our hearing and listening that has to be broken down for that translation to happen and for the right message to be sent. And that barrier could be physical, like maybe having an injury that prevents hearing, mm -hmm. or it could be more internal, like ideas that we hang on to, even though we've gotten new information that would maybe challenge that idea. Sure. And, and there are so many barriers that we encounter, uh, just this infinite number of barriers. But what if the barrier to hearing was as basic as a lack of desire to be, to be even in the same room? I recently saw this article in the Chicago Tribune. It was about a startup company that pays people to listen to job offers. Seriously, have you ever been paid? I to, wish I had gotten yeah, paid for that. No, that, that's a thing. They, they pay people to listen to a job opportunity that they would normally have blown off. Getting paid to listen. The name of this company is called, it's called June Inc. And the founder, Lane Campbell, uh, said... And, and this is a quote, the most difficult part of filling tech roles today is getting candidates to even consider the offer. As owner of an IT staffing company for a couple of years, he said that he couldn't even get any of the tech people to return phone calls. They tend to be happy and well-paid. They've got interesting work. They've got great job titles. So he asked people, would you take a phone call from me if I paid you a small amount of money, maybe even 50 bucks? And the answer was, 
Yes. You can call me. <laughs> I'll take calls for 50 bucks <laughs> you know, anytime, right? So this company facilitates conference calls between companies and potential workers and completely turns the hiring and recruiting process on its head. The idea is that if only candidates would listen, then they would be open to a new job. It's the barrier thing that you were talking about, Chris. The barrier to hearing people are happy with their jobs. The thing that transcends that barrier, money. Money is the ultimate hearing aid. Money has a way of opening up ears, hearts, and minds. So most of the people that June Inc. is interviewing are fairly content where they're at. Yeah. You know, like you said, I'd imagine that with a certain level of comfort in their jobs, they're not exactly interested in seeking out other offers. Um, but by paying people to listen to the job offers, they seem to somehow be able to change that. It's interesting. Money, in this case, seems to do something emotionally that gets us to listen differently. Um, there may be a much better job out there, but it's as if like somehow their contentment prevents the candidates from either considering the possibility of another offer. The money um, breaks down the barriers, right? Yeah. It, well, And so as it turns out, there's actually really good evidence that our ideas and beliefs about something are tied much tighter to our emotion than to the actual ideas and facts we learn. So in this case, mm. um, the idea about being content in their job is actually more powerful than the fact of another job existing out there that's maybe better. Um, this idea that our truth is actually attached to our emotions surrounding our experiences and beliefs more so than the, than the actual facts. So I read something recently uh, that quoted political scientist Arthur Lopia of the University of Michigan, and he explained that this is actually a, a basic human survival skill. Um, we push threatening information away, and we pull friendly information close. So it's that flight or, fight or flight idea. Um, it, it's not just about predators, but it's also about data itself. Mm. And so this article continued, and it said that reasoning is actually suffused with emotion, not only are the two inseparable, but our positive or negative feelings about people, things, and ideas arise much more rapidly than our conscious thoughts in a matter of milliseconds. We're not driven only by emotions, of course, but reasoning comes later. And even then, it doesn't take place in an emotional vacuum. Our quickfire emotions can set us on a course of thinking that's highly biased, especially on topics we care a great deal about. So really, it's not surprising that our conversation often gets stuck at that point of translation. Like think about like our political discourse or suggesting change in a church or workplace. In some ways, it's not surprising that we talk past each other on those things because we're emotionally attached to an outcome or an idea. And we're generally not receptive to an alternative. And so we get lost in that translation piece. And consequently, we really haven't communicated at all. Hmm. So things like emotion, history, proximity, technology, background noise, even the physical ability to hear can be barriers to hearing, listening, and ultimately understanding one another. I would like to introduce Natasha Birch. She is an audiologist at the Mayo Clinic here in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you. Hi. So good to have you here. So tell me about what you do What's an audiologist? Okay. An audiologist is the primary healthcare professional who evaluates, diagnoses, and treats hearing loss and balance disorders in patients of all ages. I work primarily with children, but with both children and adults in the diagnostic clinic and in the hearing aid program. What about your work do you love? Like, Why did you get into this field, and, and, and why do you love it? Uh, audiology is... 
an ever-changing field. So there's technology that's always evolving and how we test patients and how we treat them in the technology that's available for us to help habilitate their hearing or rehabilitate their hearing. So we're constant learning, constantly learning about new things in the technology world. Um, it's also very rewarding to help someone hear better, which results in communicating more easily with their friends and family members. And for children, helping them hear better helps them learn speech and language and reach their full potential. So it's a rewarding and challenging, always changing career. So you help people to hear and describe what it's like to see somebody who wasn't hearing very well and then what happens do they change physically what's their face look like what what's that moment when all of a sudden they're getting something more than they had before you know it's interesting i often on day one if i fit someone with a hearing aid they're a little sensitive in the office Mm. it's like flipping a switch and brightening everything up for them again and at first it's not always a good reaction there's a lot to get used to so generally i have my rewarding moments at our two week or one month or two month check when they come back and say gosh i just didn't even realize everything i was missing i didn't realize how hard i was working at having Mm. to communicate And a lot of people with hearing loss, with a mild or a moderate hearing loss, don't notice the impact themselves. It's their loved ones that come to me and say, life is so much easier. We're communicating so much better. He can hear me. We're not getting as frustrated with each other. Um, And what we never want to happen for people with hearing loss is that they get to a point where they say, I don't even want to bother anymore because I'm not going to hear well. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to play cards. I don't want to go to the family gathering because it's going to be nothing but frustrating. We don't want them to ever get to that point. So when people have and they come to us and we can give them that back is most rewarding. They start checking out. They do because it's really, really difficult. Things get really hard quickly with a hearing loss. So what... And, and I, don't, I know very little about what happens physically and kind of the science behind it, but what happens, what are the barriers to hearing? What, what is actually going on there that keeps people from being able to hear? So there are a number of different types of hearing loss. There are three main ways that we categorize a hearing loss. So there is a sensory neural hearing loss, which is considered a permanent hearing loss. So that's damage to in your cochlea where the nerves have been damaged or the sensory cells are damaged, and that hearing loss cannot be fixed surgically or with a medical intervention. And sharing that news has to be devastating with people. Yeah, I mean, definitely for families. Yeah, We have newborn hearing screening now where we can identify a hearing loss at birth, and that can be really hard for parents. Of course. Um, 90% of babies with hearing loss are born to hearing parents. So it's something they've never dealt with before. They don't know what a hearing loss means or what to do with it. So that can be very devastating for them. And most go through a grieving process. So um, sensory no hearing loss is permanent. Conductive hearing loss has to do with a blockage somewhere that isn't letting sound get in efficiently. So very basic ear canal full of wax Mm -hmm. (laughs) fluid behind your eardrum or the um, bones in your middle ear not moving efficiently as they should often a conductive hearing loss can be fixed with surgery 
So that's where an otologist would come in and put a prosthesis in or clear the wax out of your sure. ear or clear the fluid from your middle ear space. Sometimes there's a component of both, and that's a mixed hearing loss. Okay. So there might be some permanent hearing loss and a mixed hearing or a conductive hearing loss on top of that. Is, is there, and you kind of mentioned this before, but is hearing better always met with a positive response? Not always, <laughs> especially not at first. Okay. And I have this talk with my patients. I'm very frank about what we can and can't do with our technology today. And hearing aids are not corrective devices. So they don't take your hearing back to where you were when you were 20. Okay. We can give you access to the sounds, but we're still putting it through a damaged system. So we can't make things perfect again. And a lot of people think, like with glasses, you can put them on and you're back to 2020. Not the case with a hearing aid. It is an aid. Sure. So I talk very frankly about how there's going to be an acclimatization period. You've got to get used to having something in and maybe on your ears. That's going to change the way your voice sounds, mm. and then we've got to get it fitting comfortably. You might be a little sensitive to that sound, especially at first. You've been used to being in this nice, quiet world, and I'm going to flip a switch and brighten everything up. And a lot of people are sensitive to that. It can be like being in a dark room and someone flips on the bright light, mm. and your eyes take some time to adjust. The other thing is having a hearing loss isn't all bad. You get to live in a quieter, more peaceful world than people with normal hearing, and you get pretty used to that. You know, it would be a lot better sometimes if people would just stop talking. <laughs> right? You have young kids, right? right? Sometimes silence is golden. Make it, you know, yeah. I, and we were talking about this earlier. Like part of your job is being a counselor. Mm -hmm. There are th some things about hearing, there, there are barriers that you have that you do on your own i always and i was mentioning my grandpa who used to turn off his hearing aid might drive my grandma nuts but mm -hmm. it's exactly what he wanted yeah right it's true there has to be a motivation there to hear better and i talk a lot about that too a lot of the statistics say that people have hearing loss for seven to ten years and are aware of it before they ever do anything about it and that just means going in to have a test to document the hearing loss. So it can take people a long time to get to the point where they're ready to say, I am having trouble and maybe I do need to do something about it. So there has to be motivation there to hear better and communicate better. As with so many things, it's, you know, the first step is admitting you have a problem, right? <laughs> it's true. And, and, um, and I've heard it with people that I've grown up around that have said, you know, Dave, you need to enunciate. I'm okay, you know, like I, I don't, I, and it's uh, it, it, there's a problem. I'm not sure that the problem is is my speech. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, admitting that. Yeah, admitting you have a problem. And for my adult patients, I talked before about how they rarely come into my office alone. Mm. The men are usually being drugged by their wives, and I say, "What brings you in today?" What was happening to make you come and have your hearing tested and talk to me about hearing aids? Mm -hmm. And they almost always say her or him. Right. They think I have a problem. I'm fine. So they aren't really ready to admit that their hearing might be interfering in communication. And they say, like I said before, things like, I can hear people talking. They're just mumbling mm -hmm. or they're not enunciating or being clear. And the spouse will say things like, well, he's, he or she's just not working hard enough. 
they aren't listening to me as well as they could. You were, you were telling me before about this uh, device that, you know, like headphones or something you put on that simulate the hearing loss that that person has. So when the spouse is saying he's just not trying, he's not listening, and then you can put the headphones on and all of a sudden they can hear exactly how at the level of the, of the spouse. If I've got someone really pushy that just really isn't understanding, if I play that simulation for them, it really opens their eyes up. Mm. And I can play, like I said before, just normal conversational speech that someone, how someone with normal hearing, normal hearing would hear it. And I can filter that then through the hearing loss. And it's an aha moment every time. And I say, he is listening, but if you expect him to hear you well from the kitchen while you're doing the dishes and he's in the den watching the game, think about how hard that would be with what you just heard. Right. Or simple things like saying the person's name before you start talking so that he or she knows to look at you and listen. Because someone with a hearing loss may not even hear that you're talking until you're halfway through your sentence and then they're too far gone to catch mm. up. They, don't ha- they haven't heard enough to hear what you've said. So that's going to result in a what? Right. <laughs> Which is frustrating for everyone. Sure. One last, one last thing. Uh, a lot of what we're talking about in this in this episode of, of Sandbox is the difference between hearing and listening. Mm-hmm. How would you? What would you say about that? So hearing for me in the field that I'm in is a very technical, a physiological event. Mm-hmm. It's um, something that we can help make easier. Hearing. I can give you access to sound so you can hear it. Listening is what you're actively doing with that. And it's an active part of communication. You have to be engaged to listen well. Mm. They are very clearly two different things. Good. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. You're welcome. And uh, we we look forward to uh, talking some more as we go here. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. So like what Natasha shared, removing barriers so that like someone can hear, uh, change in that physical reality allows for mental, emotional, spiritual, and even intellectual changes as well by opening up a whole new world of possibilities. But with some of the barriers that are maybe more mental and internal, sometimes the best thing to help people fully communicate could be a good teacher. Or a good coach, right? I mean, I was in track and field from sixth grade through my senior year in college, and I threw discus. That's that like frisbee looking thing that you spin around for a while yeah. and throw and hope you don't land on the ground right yeah yeah it's a frisbee looking thing <laughs> uh throwing at you anyways <laughs> i am not a runner i'm a thrower and i i used to run to the bathroom and back and sometimes still do but i threw the discus and my coach saw a problem in my throwing technique when i was in high school he wanted to help me throw f- further so he told me to adjust my feet but that didn't help He told me to get my right hip through the throw. That didn't help. I still couldn't do it. He instructed me to race my legs ahead of me uh, so that I could throw. And and again, that didn't help. He told me to slam my right hip like I was slamming a door. And I'm completely dense. I didn't get it. And then he told me to throw with my belly button. And all of a sudden, I crushed it. It fixed the problem. I threw the discus further than I ever had. Seriously. He had me at belly button. I'm I'm not sure what that says about me, but the point is, (laughs) 
he had to tell me how to do something five or six different ways before I, I could understand it. We both spoke English. I heard what he was saying the whole time. But it wasn't until he used a certain phrase, a certain way of, of coaching that I, I understood, that I listened, and that I acted. And that was my coach. At least he got paid. My poor wife, she has to tell me things like a hundred different ways and I still don't understand. <laughs> but that's a whole different conversation, a podcast of another uh, of another time. And yeah, we here. could have quite the topic. We could. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had a similar experience in college. I, I just switched voice teachers learning how to sing better. And I had a great teacher who, who taught me uh, about what he called pocket singing. So just place right behind your nose that he said, if you, if you can feel the sound that you're kind of on the right track. So I conceptually understood what he was saying and it actually did improve my technique a little bit, but it still didn't totally click. And one day he was sick and he had a cold and in our lesson, he talked about how he actually liked that for singing because the resonance was so much more noticeable. And so I always have allergies and frequently have a stuffy nose. So when he shared that with me, suddenly had an, I had a new reference point for how I should sing. And it significantly changed my approach. And so it's weird how you can hear something a bunch of times and then something else happens and suddenly you understand and it clicks and it all, it all seems to work. It's amazing. Did he maybe mention um, to sing with your belly button? Because I think <laughs> that may have helped. <laughs> may have... <laughs> it helped me. We're going to completely shift here. At one point, Jesus tells a story in order to teach a lesson to his disciples. He finishes the story saying, let anyone with ears to hear, listen. But I want you to listen to this. Non, parce que le, le travail reste le même, c'est un travail d'acteur. Je dirais que c'est plus difficile de faire du théâtre. C'est-à-dire que tous les soirs, c'est plus physique, plus éprouvant, plus stressant. Euh, mais en même temps, peut-être que c'est plus gratifiant. Euh, parce qu'on est, on est plus en contrôle de soi-même, on est plus maître de soi et on est en contact direct avec les gens et quelque chose de magique qui se passe. Au cinéma, bon, on est un peu traité comme des bébés, euh, c'est un peu plus paresseux. Mais so you've got ears to listen, Chris. Uh, what do you think? I think I agree. Oui. <laughs> oui. You know, we don't speak French, but we can use our ears to and listen as, as much as we want but we will never perceive or understand what is being said. Jesus teaches in stories called parables. He tells a ton of these stories. And through these stories, he uses multiple metaphors and examples. But the same basic idea, right? What is life in God's presence like? It's like a wedding feast. It's a mustard seed. It's yeast when you make bread. It's a buried treasure, and the list goes on. But which one of them is it, right? Well, it's all of them. He does it in so many different ways because just one way, he may as well be talking French. But if he says it in multiple ways, I begin to understand. A good teacher or coach, like we were talking about earlier, can come up with multiple examples to use in teaching that's some of what Jesus is up to in this instance. One example, one story, might not make any sense. But another one unlocks the door. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Physically hear it and also listen. 
understand, perceive what I am talking about. Maybe, maybe one of our tasks as Jesus people is to be that translation point. That might require a good, honest look at ourselves, asking, what are barriers to my hearing? What sets up walls between me and being able to hear? And then continuing to use every tool at our disposal, metaphors, stories, pictures, whatever we have to make sense of our world, invite people into experiences of faith. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. As always, we'd love to hear what you think, so comment on our website. Let us know on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, or be sure to rate us on iTunes as well. Uh, just a quick reminder as well, uh, check us out on September 27th for our next live event, and we'll be hosting Science Mike for that. I'm Chris Roberts. And I'm Dave Berg. See you later. See ya. Please watch your step as you exit the Sandbox. <laughs>